Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Today, I've got the pleasure of having John Golden here with me today, which is like the best name for a sales guy. And John is the publisher of Sales Pop Magazine. John, welcome to the program. Thank you, Umar. Glad to be here. So before we get started, tell us about the magazine, Sales Pop. Is it like a physical magazine or a digital magazine? No, it's a it's a digital online multimedia magazine. And uh, we we started it or started about four or five years ago when um, our core business is Pipeliner CRM. And we were we were migrating our blog at the time. And I was thinking, hmm, you know, the world doesn't need another product blog. Um, so, uh, I thought, how about a, a, a multimedia online magazine? Because we have this commitment to education anyway, to educating salespeople, marketing people, entrepreneurs, leaders, and all of that. And so we started Sales Pop and went out and found some of the most interesting thought leaders from across the globe. And then create, and so we, we interview them, as you know yourself, having been on. We do a video interview. We extract the audio of that. We push it out on all, the, all podcasting platforms. So the videos on YouTube, the videos on our, on sales pop, the audio was on about 10 different podcasting platforms. And so this is our kind of altruistic, if you like, give back. Uh, and it fulfills our commitment, our two of our commitments. One is to high quality content and the other one is to education and actually empowering uh, salespeople and business leaders and marketing people to learn and do better. Nice. So back in the day, I used to be in the high tech industry and it was really interesting. Uh, if it was a hardware company you called for an issue, they blamed the software. And if you called the software company, it's not us, it's the hardware. And you were caught in the middle. And it's a lot like that for sales and marketing. They should be in sync together, supporting each other. And I've got some thoughts around that, but oftentimes mm -hmm. they're at odds and that uh, slows the company down. It lets competition win and it's a headache for everybody. Kind of your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it's very true. And it, it, it still baffles me to this day why we're in, what are we in now, 2021? Uh, and we're still having a conversation about sales and marketing alignment, because for me, it should be a no brainer. I mean, uh, market, the, the thing about, um, buyer behavior and the thing about sales processes today and all of that is those clean lines of demarcation that everybody seem, seems to love, you know, people right. who subscribe, subscribe to the, you know, good fences make good neighbors, that kind of point of view. Uh, once upon a time, it was very neat. Like marketing did their piece, like, you know, for top of funnel and then threw it over the wall and then sales picked it up and ran with it and never the twain shall meet otherwise. Um, however, um, now marketing people have got to go a little bit further uh, down the process and help uh, at different points. And salespeople have to become micro-marketers a little bit as well to be able to engage with customers. So for me, it's a no-brainer that sales and marketing should be working together. However, uh, and it makes it's common sense, but as you know, 
thing about common sense is it's not that common. It's the so, least common um, sense of all. Yes, it is the least common sense. And I'll just give you, I'll give you a good example um, from a number of years back when I, I was running a company called Hothwaite, which was spin selling. It was a, a global sales consultancy company based on the work of Neil Rackham, who wrote spin mm-hmm. selling. I've met him a couple of and, times. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'll, you'll enjoy this story. So, um, one of the things that Neil used to say regularly is that if a, if you do if a sales call is really valuable and really value creating, then the prospect should be willing to write you a check for the sales call, not for yes. your product, but for the value created during the sales call. And so, I always thought this was a neat idea, but in the back of my mind, I was like. Yeah. Could I really ever see somebody actually agreeing to write a check for a sales call? And so Neil, I brought Neil to one of our large clients, which is a global multinational brand name. Um, and they were ha- they were having problems with sales and marketing. And so I had asked them, the CEO, uh, the CEO of, of North America, can you get the marketing and can you get the sales leadership teams together in a room? And I'll bring in Neil and we'll do a, we'll do a diagnostic session. Nice. So cut a long story short, exactly what you outlined earlier happened. The meeting started, marketing started having a go at sales, sales started having a go back at marketing. And there was just this back and forth across the table, both blaming each other. And, and so eventually we said, okay, well, it's good to get everything out on the table. And then we went through our whole session and at the end of it, uh, uh, the CEO was saying, that's fantastic. Now we have a framework and getting these people to work together and all that good stuff. And so I thought, this is my perfect opportunity. So I said, can I just ask you a question? And the CEO said, sure. I said, would you write Neil a check? Would you like write Neil and I a check for this sales call? And the CEO actually said, you know, I actually would. And and to to the point of so we're making a couple of points. Number one is even in the largest companies like big brand name multinational companies, this division between sales and marketing is so ridiculous. And when you get and when you get them around the table, it it looks even more ridiculous than than it is on the surface because it gets very petty and stuff. And the second thing is that when you bring people together from sales and marketing and you start to Really take all the take the emotion out of it, uh, and that, and you start to show them that there's a symbiotic relationship here. And if you resist that, particularly nowadays, you're going to end up uh, you're going to end up back at this having another meeting in a year's time. Still, but um, the the leads that come from marketing are still going to be terrible, and the salespeople ability to close them is still going to be terrible. So it kind of reminds me. That's a brilliant story. It, it reminds me. I was doing this job for a company out in Silicon Valley. And their uh, VP of international sales said, look, we got a problem. And the problem is that we talk about ad nauseum selling on value, but everybody in this company sells on price. Help fix that. And spending some time with the salespeople, I realized that uh, it's not just a sales problem. It's a trust problem. So we got marketing, sales, finance, admin, customer support all together for a day of trying to figure out what's going on. And what had happened was engineering was told by uh, marketing, you know, this is the chip that we need to manufacture two years from now. This is what the market wants. And of course, marketing can't get everything 100% right. So they're like, what do those marketing guys know? 
Engineering has promised sales. You'll have a chip to sell to your customers by January. Now it's uh, August. They still don't have a chip. So it's basically no trust in the company because people let each other down. And what we ended up doing was getting people to get on the same page, going the same direction. And a couple of months after the intervention, I asked the salespeople because they are uh, they were selling on value. And it was like, what's been the change? He says, the biggest change has been this. Whenever we came back from a customer and we went to any department, whether it's uh, marketing or customer support or whatever, and we said, you know, the customer wants this. And they would say, well, I can't do that or we can't do that. And the biggest change has been as soon as we come back with some kind of customization request is they go, huh, how can we make that happen? And sometimes those issues are trust-based and sometimes uh, is added to that is that human need to be right and special. Yeah. And I think, and it's very simple to be honest to overcome it. What I always recommend, I, you know, I'm, I'm the chief marketing strategy officer with, with Pipeline. And so I look after the whole marketing side, you know, but obviously I have a, a background in sales as well. And so I, I sit in on the sales meetings. Mm-hmm. It's really that simple. I sit in on the sales meeting so I can hear what's going on. I can talk to the salespeople. I can, uh, and and I can figure out how best to support them, and to give them what they need. And but it's always not it's not just a one way street. I you know, and I tell them what I need from them. And sometimes when they ask for something, I tell them why it's not a good idea. And and because of once you establish that kind of communication and and, and mutual respect or understanding, yes. then it's easy because I can say, yeah, I know you'd like to do that but that's not a good idea. Here's a different way of approaching it. And, and I think that makes, that makes a big difference. So to me, like the solution to all of this is not rocket science. It's unfortunately a lot of people who work in marketing, um, you know, have no clue what, it, what, the, what the reality of a salesperson is. They've no clue how hard the job is. They've no, they've no experience of, of, of let's say crazy, crazy prospects and customers. Let's face it, when we're, when we're buyers, you know, we, we ask for all sorts of crazy stuff and, and everything. And they don't realize like what the salespeople go through. So I think the first thing is it's, it's a real education process. So I would encourage, you know, marketing leadership, get on those sales calls. Just go to, go to the sales leadership and say, I want to be on your calls. I, I won't interrupt them. I won't dis- disrupt them or anything, but I want to learn. And then I want to see how I can and help. And maybe even have some of uh, your other folks from marketing involved in that too. And then I think on the flip side is, I think you have to also educate sales about how difficult marketing is today. It's not a simple thing. It's not an easy thing. Um, uh, Technology and all of that has has opened up so many opportunities and maybe democratized to some degree uh, the ability to to market. But there are so many different specialities and skill sets and things that you need today and initiatives that you can undertake. And it's fiercely competitive. So I think also I don't think sales sometimes realize the landscape which with within which marketing is operating so again i would i would encourage sales leaders to talk to the marketing leadership to talk to the marketing people and understand what's going on because i think there's always umar i think there's a there's a misconception sometimes for sales and that is marketing just paint the pretty pictures and you know they're drawing all day they're doing the fun stuff like this is cool putting some graphics together and and i would sort of explain to people that is a small percentage of the marketing job. Marketing is a grind. 
most of it. If you're doing it properly, it's a grind because you have right. to test everything. You have to check. You have to be in all these multiple channels at the same time. Uh, and you have to, um, you know, be constantly figuring out if a new channel comes online or something or a new initiative or a new strategy. You have to look at that as well. And there's an awful lot of moving pieces. And I think that's what sales need to understand as well. And I agree with you. I think uh, we need to have like, uh, when we want to understand a city better, we get to do a ride along with the cops. Yeah. It's easy to complain about those speed gun wielding jerks, but you do a ride along and you figure out what they actually have to do is a different thing. And from my point of view, I think sales is a subset of marketing and a very important one. That's the tip of the spear. And you really mm -hmm. need to like marketing is all about feedback. They need to talk to the customers, figure out what they want so they can start figuring out what we need to create. But the customers are also the salespeople. So I agree with you. Having each other embedded, figuring out not who's doing what right. It's like, how can we outthink and outpace our competition and connect with customers better? So now that we've solved that for everybody, <laughs> <laughs> so here's a, here's a question for you. In any sales team, uh, generally you tend to have three groups in the sales team. You've got people that walk on water, the A players that give phenomenal results. Then you've got the B players that were so happy they're there because they're doing a good job day in, day out. Then you've got the C players that probably should be doing something else. Mm -hmm. What do you think separates the A players from the B players? Like what makes an A player an A player? Yeah, I think there's a I think there's a number of things that make it, uh, an A player an A player, but I think fundamentally is that A players are process focused, right? So they they focus on the sales process. They follow the sales process. They focus on the fundamentals. So whether it's, for instance, uh, you'll see A players will do proper call planning before they get on a call with the prospect. B players might do it sometimes or do a cursory one, but A players will do. A players will focus on what are the most important activities and things that they should be doing, and they'll jettison the rest, right? So they'll be the first, and the A players will be the first one to come and say, I'm not doing this because it's not going to, it's not helping me sell, right? So, I mean, they're very, very conscious of, of the time, of the time element. And I think today, um, the A players are, have got high levels of business acumen. And I, and I can't stress that enough because I think once upon a time, salespeople could skate by without really understanding how business works. Right. And now I think you have to understand the business of business and the business of your buyer. Because if you're going to have an intelligent conversation with a prospect, you really do need to understand how business works and you need to understand how their business works. So I think those are some of the things that really separate a players from B players, but I would say I would say process is a huge thing and following process because this is where the misconception comes in sometimes. Sometimes we've all seen it, right? We've all seen the successful salesperson who you know breaks all the rules, runs around, does whatever, but like brings in the big deals, and everybody goes, oh, well, you know, yes, they they caused chaos again, but they brought in a lot of money, uh, and and a lot of people mistake that as the A player. That's somebody who is successful, but I've seen it in the past. Those people eventually, eventually they stumble because you, it's unsustainable. The so real either, A players I, are the ones who follow process. So I would agree with you there. I do think there's mavericks out there. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm thinking yeah. of a couple of people that I've come across that came to mind when you said that. And this one guy, he basically, the CEO gave him several warnings. And the final warning was, you know, you're not performing 
and I'm going to fire your ass by the end of the month. That's it. You've had your last warning. And something in him just awoke and he became mm-hmm. a beast. But he created so much chaos in the company and he was su- always successful for like seven or eight years. But the CEO was like, I love his revenue, but the cost of the chaos is just so much. We'll badger everyone to death to get what he wants done. So A, I agree there, but sometimes it can have longevity, but the cost is high. Oh, yeah, they can. But, but that other thing and that you mentioned, honest, which and is- to be honest, Umar, just, just the thing on cost is because most companies do not measure the actual cost of sales, right? They will, they will calculate the commission. They may cal- you know, they calculate a bunch of things on cost of sales, but they won't. What they never calculate is the time that somebody like that takes up of other people. So when they're calling up saying, hey, I need this from you, I need that from you, I need this from you. If you calculated all of that time, not just not just the, the cost of that person, you know, actual time, but the opportunity cost of them working on other stuff, you might find out that that revenue isn't that profitable. Agreed. And, and another thing that was kind of interesting was this particular person I'm thinking of just one day decided that, you know, I need a better title. So he just got new business cards printed up with the senior VP <laughs> title that he gave himself. And it was like, you know, they cut I've him back on that, which they perhaps shouldn't have. And then he would give a smaller company the same kind of reports and service as a 500-person company. And it was like, we can afford it for a 500-person company, but not for a 100-person company. But going back to your other point, which is, you're so boring, John, talking about process. The process is absolutely the most important element of sales success is if, because once you got a process, you can make it better. When you're just winging it, who knows what's wrong? And the people that follow the process with the right mindset and the right attitude become rock stars. And I much rather have, uh, you know, five rock stars and one pulled into China shop supernova is fine, but the five are going to outproduce that like 10 times yeah. over. And, and, and I think, and I'm glad you raised that point. I'm glad you raised the boring point. Not that you, you know, not about me personally. And I was just teasing about um, the boring. <laughs> makes no, no, I'm joking. No, no, no. But the boring point, because I think that's a really important one, because that is what a lot of, what the, what you get pushback sometimes in, in sales is like, oh, well, process is going to, you know, bog me down. It's, it's going to distract me. It's like, that's not, I, I, I need, I need wiggle room to be able to operate because I'm kind of an artist, you know? Um, but the reality is that process, process when done properly actually frees you up and liberates you and gives you the opportunity to focus on the high value things to do the things that you really want to do. It's when you're running kind of outside of the process, you actually make more work for yourself. Um, you end up uh, creating, as you said, chaos, uh, and and you end up doing, uh, you know, tr- tidying up and trying to, you know, corral things all the time. Whereas if you follow process, it actually, things should run smoothly, allowing you to um, then interact on a, a, on, on a more valued, uh, valuable level with prospects and, and where you give you, spend your time. Now, the caveat on that is, as long as the process is a good process. So I'm not, I don't advocate for process for the sake of process. I advocate for process that makes things uh, operate more smoothly, efficiently, faster, all of that. So, so I think you've got to put a lot of effort and work into defining your process, your sales process, and then constantly reviewing it and tweaking it. Absolutely. And, uh, and another part of sales process is qualifying opportunities. Mm-hmm. And a lot of companies either A, don't do it, 
or they do it like uh, willy-nilly and there isn't uh, science between every single sales rep using the same metrics. And that's why the pipelines is a wish list rather than uh, accurate predictors of the future. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that was very important to me when I joined Pipeline or one of the reasons attracted me to the, to the, to Pipeline or CRM is the fact that not only can you build a process in Pipeliner, but you can build steps into it. So you have your stages and then within each stage, you can have your steps and things that need to be done and you can even make them mandatory, right? So I can't move to stage two unless I have completed certain actions in stage right. one. Um, and I think that is exactly it because if you don't have some discipline around your sales processes and if you don't have a, a shared understanding of what's a stage one, what's a stage two or whatever, and those are reinforced, what you get is you get John, John and Umar have opportunities that are almost identical in every, in every aspect. John puts his in stage three, Umar leaves his in stage two, right? So now we have two opportunities that are basically this, uh, almost the same in characteristic, but one's further in the stage sales process than the other when it shouldn't be. They should be both in the same stage. So that's where your whole, that's where your whole pipeline and your forecasting and all gets messed up. So what happens if it's the other way around? Like instead of uh, you being overestimating and putting yourself in mm. stage three, let's say you're accurate and I'm actually retarded a little bit. Yeah, yeah sandbagging <laughs> too. Uh, I was just talking to a friend. He's buying a business and he works for the business. And so he's holding his sales till uh, April 5th when he actually counts as a business owner as opposed to a sales rep, which makes right. perfect sense. But yeah, yeah, there's always a, I mean, I think, I think this is where sales management comes in because I, if I'm a sales manager, sales leader, I should be saying, Hey, I just reviewed Umar. That, that should be in stage three. You know, that should be in stage three. So here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move to stage three. Uh, so I think part of it is, you know, you have to have sales management and they have to be doing their reviews using the, the tool and making sure because that's the only way you'll, you will end up driving consistency is if the sales manager is driving it. Because at the end of the day, if you move, if you have it in stage two and it should be in stage three, but your sales manager never says anything to you, you just got tacit approval. Absolutely. So what do you think are the key skills of a sales manager? Ooh, it's interesting because uh, a, a, a friend, a friend of mine, uh, Matt McDarby, who uh, who runs a sales consultancy and has published a couple of books, he posted something on LinkedIn actually last night, and it was around the finding your why as a sales leader, sales manager, finding your why because it is it is the I would say probably the toughest job. And we know the statistics out there that most sales managers only last like sixteen months in the job and all of that. Um, so I think what's, what's critically important is number one, if you move into a sales management position is first of all, learn management. So don't think that I've moved into sales management, that somehow sales management is, there are aspects of sales management that are very different from any other role, but the fundamentals of management are the fundamentals of management. So the first thing I would say is make sure that the person gets proper training on management to just, you know, core management techniques and then training on, on sales leadership. But I think, I think some of the core things are that you have to accept that you're in a different role, right? Particularly if you've come from sales, you're now in a sales management role. You got to resist the temptation. And I think this happens very often is you got to resist the temptation to be a super closer. So I'm now the sales manager 
and I'm looking at the the pi- I'm looking at the pipeline. I say, "Oh, Umar's got some staging. Oh, I'm going to help him push these over the line." Hey, Umar, I'm going to get on with your customer now, and I'm going to help you drive this over the line. And what do I do? I really just elbow you out of the way and uh, do it for you, right? And therefore, you're going great. Thanks. I like the commission, but you know. Thanks for undermining everything I've done. And also, um, just for a second, it allows me to say, if it didn't work out, hey, John, uh, you know, man, I had it on the finish line. <laughs> yeah. And you fucked it up. <laughs> yeah. But as a sales manager, I'm going to say, uh, actually, Umar, I came in to try and rescue it, and it was uh, too far gone. But anyway, my point is that there's a real temptation to be there. But the yes. reality is, is if you're a good sales manager, you should be in the early stages. That's where you can add value. That's where I can go, okay, Umar, let's let's look at your early stage opportunities and make sure they're qualified properly. That's where I can ask you some questions. I can ask you some good searching questions about them. And then you can say, okay, yeah, I didn't think of that. I need to get more on that. Because at the end of the day, the more time you spend qualifying, mm-hmm. um, it means probably less is going to progress Less is going to progress through your pipeline, but you're going to have a higher probability of closing it. Um, and I think that's where a sales manager can add a, re- a lot of value there is making sure that everything is qualified properly and being supportive and, and then and coaching, be, but being supportive and not trying to parachute in and, and elbow you out. Or, or the other part is don't say, Umar, you want to be a good salesperson? Just do everything I do. And, and do everything I did to be successful. And then you say, well, what did you do to be successful? And then I go, well, I don't really know, actually, because I'm unconsciously competent. Yep. I met the guy. He wrote this article. Uh, it was uh, the number one article on Harvard Business Review for many, many years. It's, you know, get the monkey off your back. And this was the monkey. You're the CEO. And one of your salespeople is saying, you know, I've been trying to get a meeting with the uh, the head guy at ABC company and say, hey, I know that guy. And the sales rep goes, could you do an introduction? It's like, okay. And the next time you meet that salesperson, the salesperson goes, uh, did you do that introduction yet? And all of a sudden you're the leader and you're taking on all these tasks. And I guess the sales manager would have that ability too, to kind of all of a sudden step out of their lane and start being the workhorse for everyone. And I think I like your approach. I never actually thought of it that way before that, you know, most of your focus should be early stages to qualify. So your salespeople are actually more effective. So they're not chasing deals that are not going to work out at all. Yeah. And and plus, um, let's be honest, what kind of value can you really add at the late stage? Uh, if it hasn't been, you know, at the late stage, if you're relying on the sales manager to come in, normally that means there's just going to be discounting. There's going to be all this sort of stuff. And normally when, when opportunities fall out in the latter stages, it means that they weren't properly qualified in the first place. Obviously, there's always circumstances. I mean, we all, everybody loses. Everybody has something that happens uh, occasionally. But generally speaking, you can find, uh, uh, you can find that a lot of things fall out because they weren't properly qualified. Because we live in this world, right? Absolutely. Where I, I call it the feel-good funnel, where where instinctively we want to we want to pack as much stuff into our pipeline because it makes us feel good, right? If we have stage one and the early stage of funnel are packed with opportunities, we may not be selling a lot, a lot right now. But at least we can go. I can go. Yeah, Umar. I know. I haven't. I haven't reached my quota for this month, but. Look at all the stuff I have in my pipeline. You just you wait a couple of months down the road. And what happens? A couple of months down the road, 
you say, uh, John, you still haven't closed that much. I go, oh, I know, Omar, yeah, but but look back at my pipeline. Look at my early stages. A couple more months, I'm going, and this just repeats and repeats and repeats. And whereas it, it, it takes, and it takes some fortitude, to be honest, and guts to actually reduce your pipeline as opposed oh, to absolutely. It. So one of the, uh, I guess, uh, the Achilles heel for a lot of sales people is, is getting that first conversation started. Mm-hmm. So what would be, being a marketing guy, what would be your best strategy to get your ideal prospect on the phone or on a Zoom call? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I think it goes down to what I said about earlier. I think you have to understand the business of business. You got to understand the business of your of your prospects. So you got to do some research, and I think you got to figure out um, what's important to that company, what's important in their industry, and then try and do some research on the individual themselves and figure out. You know, maybe you can figure out what's important to them. But I think the more research you do, and then the more personalized the approach is. Uh, and I think we're re- we're we're entering the era of hyper personalization, uh, where people like, you know, let's face it, we know when we're getting generic messages, right? We know, yes. and, and as clever and as clever as they may be, we know, right? Um, um, so I think if I want, if I'm working on and I want to get to particular people, I need to do some, I need to do some research because I need to be able to send you something compelling that you connect and resonates with you, right? If I send you an email, it has to resonate with you. Um, if I just send a generic one, well, it probably isn't going to resonate with you. You'll just go, hmm, okay, delete. Um, so it has to resonate. And then I think when, when, if you can get them then onto that, uh, initial call again, that's where you have to really establish rapport quickly. But the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you have done your research. So I'm, I'm a big believer in doing research. Brilliant. So just before we part, uh, company, John, I've got a couple of questions for you. Yep. So number one, we all have a negative voice inside our heads that stops mm-hmm. us from executing. What does your one say to you to kind of, it's all lies, but what does it say to get you to stop executing? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good point because I think uh, statistically, I think psychology today had it at something like it's 69 to 70% of our thoughts on a, uh, on a given day are negative. Um, so, yeah, and we all have negative voice. Um, so what's the question? What would get me to stop? So, you know, you're um, about to do something challenging and then it starts creating doubt or let's mm-hmm. do something else. Uh, don't worry about this. Like, what does your voice say to you? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, uh, and, and I feel like at this stage of my career, I recognize that situation very quickly. And um, if my voice is going, oh, my God, this is, this is too hard or it's not going to work or whatever, is I say, okay, I'm not in the right frame of mind to tackle this right this second. So... What do I need to do? Do I need to get up? Do I need to go out? Do I need to nice. go for a walk? Do I need just to take a break for a second? Do I need to maybe, you know, put down, write it on my to-do list or put it on my calendar? Here's the other thing you can do sometimes is, is like, okay, I'm going to do something else for the next like 30 or minutes or an hour. I'm going to put this on my calendar for straight after that, right? And then I'm going to come back to it with a fresh eyes. But I think, yeah, that's, that's it. You just got to, you got to acknowledge it. I mean, when you're resisting things, you're resisting. You know, you're you're resisting things for. There's a reason why you're resisting it, Absolutely. and you've got to change. You've got to change that, and you've got to remember that you're. Um, and it's often physiological too, right? When you're resisting something, like you know, you feel oh, a yeah. bit tense or you feel stressed or whatever. So all that is is your is your body telling you that you're stressed about this situation or that you're you know you're not in the right frame of mind. So 
that's great information to go and get yourself in the right frame of mind. Brilliant. Uh, my second question was going to be about, uh, and still can be, what's a mind hack that you use to uh, be more productive? Ooh, um, that's interesting. Um, a mind hack to be more productive. Um, well, I, th- I think what I, what I often use, to be honest, is it, when, you're, when you're faced with a daunting task or something, is stop for a moment and just go, yeah, but I'll be able to complete it and it'll be over. Right. Simple as that. It's like when you're doing um, it's like when you're doing exercise. Right. And 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 you're you know, you're exhausted, but you think to yourself, OK, I would like to give up right now, but I'm not going to. But I know if I just keep going in 10 minutes, this will be over. And I think Brilliant. sometimes you just got to just got to tell yourself that it will be over and you'll be on the other side of it. Yeah, it might be a little painful in between, but you will be on the so And one other thing I would say, Umar, just to everybody out there is when you're challenged by something or faced by a daunting challenge and you don't think yes. you're up to it, look back. Look back on everything you've done in your life. And it doesn't even have to be professional. It can be in your personal life. Look back. And I guarantee you, if you do it honestly, you will find instances where you overcame much, much greater obstacles than the one that's in front of you right now. And sometimes I think we have to remind ourselves of our capabilities. Absolutely. That's a brilliant note to end on. John, thank you so much for a great conversation. I took a bunch of notes and uh, no one can read them. I should have been a doctor. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, listen, thanks, Umar. It's a real pleasure. And thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 